Would you mind standing in honor of God's word? 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, verses 4 through 22. Here we go. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel spoke all of the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him, asked of him a king. He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will... Also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said no. But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Would you agree with me in prayer? Lord, you have a word that is so clear and so direct today that I feel more prophet than pastor today. Would you please hide me behind the cross? Hide anything distracting about me, my mannerisms. Hide me, God. We need to see Jesus, we need to hear Jesus, and we need to respond to Jesus. So let your kingdom come and your will be done. God, please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message is After God's Heart, Who's Your King? Point one is why people want a human king. First, to distance themselves from a holy God. They said, We want a king to judge us, not God. The holiness of God and the unholiest of man wants to create distance. Give us a person instead of having to directly have to encounter 
you. And here's God's response to them. God says to Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Ever since I delivered them from Egypt, they have been doing this. Let me give you the first rejection that they gave when they got out of Egypt. This is Exodus 20, 19 through 21. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain in you so that you may not sin. Now listen to this. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Moses came near where he could hear God. The people stayed distance where they couldn't hear God. But they could, when Moses was done hearing from God, God could speak to them through Moses. They wanted distance from a holy God. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God's voice penetrates. God's eyes see everything. For some of us, that's just too close. I'd I'd rather report to a guy, a human guy that can't see everything or know everything than to this God whom all things are laid bare. Three times in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, the exact same phrase is used. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Why do people want distance from God? Because if I hear him clearly then I need to respond. Then I need to obey. I don't know what he might say to me. I want, I want you to, I want to solve the problem for you of why teenagers have trouble hearing their parents. Okay, this mystery is going to be solved right now. Here's why teenagers have trouble clearly hearing their parents. You ready? Get, get your pen out. They don't want to hear you. They don't want to hear you clearly. And here's why. They love you. And if they could stay ignorant of what you're saying, they can plead ignorance and, and when you accuse them of rebellion. When you say, I told you to do this, say, oh, I didn't hear that. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear, I must have been doing something. I didn't really, I wasn't rebelling against you. I love you, mom and dad. I just, I, I just have my own plans. And I want to do my own thing. And I really, I don't want to be that close. Creating distance from a holy God. So give us a king. Instead of us hearing directly from you, give us a pastor. Let the pastor speak to us. And that creates distance. Why? He's just a guy. 
I, I, can, I can say whatever the pastor's saying. He's just a guy. That's his opinion. I don't have to take that as God speaking to me. That's just a man's opinion. Give, give me a king. Give me a pastor that will speak. I don't want to be so close because then I can, even if it does feel like he might be speaking what God's speaking, I can reject it by criticizing him. I could say, well, I know Pastor Tom. He's not that great. He, who does he think he is? Tell me what to do. Da, da, da. And there's distance between us and God. This is what they wanted with Moses and they got into trouble because of it. In Exodus 17, Moses says, because they start grumbling and complaining to Moses. He says, guys, why are you looking at me? You're actually grumbling against God. You're testing the Lord. I'm not, this isn't about me. This is about God. You're grumbling about me because no one wants to grumble directly about God. No one wants to go direct because everybody understands God's perfect. So, but, but we put this distance. So that's one reason why we want a human, a human king to create distance from a holy God. Secondly, so someone else can fight our battles. They were tired. Everybody in Israel was part of the army. Everybody, when there was a, a battle to be fought, it would, everybody needed to be engaged. Everybody needed to do their part. Everybody needed to call on God. And they were simply tired. Why do we want a king? So somebody else will do it for us. We're tired. Anybody tired today? Tired of COVID-19? Is anybody getting tired of COVID-19? Tired of politics? Anybody tired of politics? I anybody tired of Facebook? Anybody tired of opinions? Anybody tired? Just, just weary. The great temptation is to disengage. Let somebody else pray. Let somebody else witness. Let somebody else make sacrifices for the kingdom of God. I'm just giving myself permission to disengage during this time. I, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm weary. And so I'm just, I'm just pulling out. Let somebody else do it. Give us a king and let him do our praying and witnessing and, and, and sacrificing. We, we're, just, we're just out right now. We're tired. Barely surviving ourselves. We, we can't, we don't have any energy left to be part of the army of God. Why do people want a king? We want to be like the nations. We are the unique people of God as Israel, but we want to live just like the nations. <laughs> we are children of God. We've been born again. We, we're, we're in the kingdom of God. And we agree with the way Jesus saves but oftentimes the church doesn't agree with the, agree with the way Jesus sees. That's discipleship. Discipleship is when you, you embrace his worldview, the way he looks at things. You enter into that. Instead of just being saved and continuing on just like the world and, and being just like the nations, except that we've accepted Christ, God wants us to actually live like the people of God. Here's Matthew chapter 6. 
Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, um, how we're going to take care of ourselves, and how we're going to do all that stuff tomorrow. That's what the Gentiles live for. They live for their own survival. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He, kn- he knows you need all that stuff. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Pastor Tom, that's, that would be a radical way of living. To live not worrying about taking care of ourselves and, and how we're going to take care of ourselves tomorrow and be all about providing and making sure that we, that we actually are being called to live completely different than, how, than that. We're called to live seeking first, just what, doing what is right and what God wants us to do and, and, and his, his kingdom and his purposes and his plans and then all these other things God's just going to miraculously add to us. That, that's wild. That's radical. That, and then not worry about tomorrow. Are you kidding me? Half my life is worrying about tomorrow. What, Pastor Tom, you're, you're talking about something radical and wild. Yep, I am. Christianity is wild and radical. Any form of Christianity that is not wild, that does not demand that kind of worldview is something that you've agreed with Jesus the way Jesus saves, but you haven't agreed with the way he sees the world. And God is wanting discipleship in this hour. He wants us to grow up and say, God, show me how you see. Show me. I want to live in a way that reflects you. When we live just like the nations, we lose any message that we would have to save the nations. Let's move on to point two. Point two is God's desire to partner with us. God's desire is to partner with you, not to control you. He says, eventually the king is going to control you. You're going to end up being his servants and his slaves, and you're going to, you're going to at some point, regret that you have made this choice. God doesn't want to control you. He wants to partner with you. A few weeks ago, we were in Baltimore with my son, Matt, his wife, Shannon, and our grandson, Ethan, who is one year old. Now, here's what happened every morning that we were at Matt and Shannon's. In the morning, we clear the dining room or the living room coffee table, and we get out Ethan's mat. And it's this massive mat, it's, it's padded, and it's got numbers on it and animals on it, and it covers the whole room. And that mat stays in place the whole day, because this thing is all set up for Ethan. Here's what's in the living room. Okay, they have about a hundred books that are all children's books. Ethan, and, they, and Ethan can reach them all. Ethan can go and just pull them all down, pull them all out, look at them. There is this rocking horse that anytime Ethan can go over and he points to the horse and actually right now somebody needs to rock him. There is a bus that he can get on and roll around in and it's got a horn. There, there's, there's these hoops, these rings that he can take the rings off and put the rings back on. There's a little mini guitar for him to, so he becomes musical. They've got a little electric piano 
Are you kidding me? He, you turn this thing on and he can just go over and make sounds whenever he wants to. There's all of this stuff and it's all there for him. So what I would do every single morning, he'd, he'd be down there on his knees and then I'd get down there on my knees right next to him and I'd say this to him, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Whatever you want to do, I want to do. If he wanted to do books, we would do books. He wanted to do the rocking horse, I would rock him on the horn. Whatever he wanted to do. But every single day we had a time where we did exercise. I said, you ready for exercise? He'd get a big smile. Exercise was this. I would get flat on my back and I'd take Ethan. Ethan, he's, he's 26 pounds as a one-year-old. Um, that doesn't sound like much, but this is very concentrated. He's a big boy. He, he, he's a big boy. He's got the most kissable cheeks in the entire world. Anyway, here's, here's, here's our exercises. I would take him like this, right up to my face. One, two, three, four, five. And he starts giggling. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We did our exercises for today. And it, it's just this wonderful thing. And I, I just, whatever he wanted to do, we would do. If he got something in his mouth that he shouldn't get in his mouth, I was right there to take it out. If, if he got near the stairs, we, I made sure that gate was secure so that he couldn't fall. He was perfectly safe. And it was it's just a perfect delight to be with my grandson. Do you know that this is the Garden of Eden? This is, this is how God made us. He made this beautiful garden that had all the stuff in it. And he put Adam and Eve in it. And he just wanted them to enjoy it. And it was all made for them. It was all created for them. God didn't need any of that stuff. It was all for them. And every day he would come down. He'd get down on his knees and be with them. And they would, they would do the exercise. They would walk once a day together with God. And as long as he was there, they were safe. But it was really, it was about what they wanted to do, what, they were, what, what was in their heart. Do you remember when God brought the animals to Adam? He waited and said, what do you want to call them? God didn't say, that one is a bear. Adam, call it a bear. Bear. No. He's like, what do you want to call it? This is partnership, not control. The gospel, it turns out, is not just about what God wants. It's about what we want. God honors what we want, but he will warn us and ask us if we're sure we really want that. This is just stunning to me. They want a king. And God says, give them, give them what they want. But for before, before you give up on this thing, tell them what's going to happen and make sure they want it. Here's what it's going to look like when you get a king. I, I can see your heart. I can see you're set on this. You want a king. I've already given all the reasons. You really want this. But here's all of the things that are going to happen. And because I'm God and I can see the future, trust me, there's a day coming. You're going to regret this choice. You're going to actually cry out to me about the choice you made. And I'm telling you right now, you're going to have to live with the consequences of that choice. 
You're going to get what you want, but you may not like your life when you get the very thing you wanted. So here's two things about what you want that are really, really important that we, that we need to pause before we decide what we want in life. Number one, what you want is going to define your future. It's going to define your activity in the future. Look at this very important verse. This is Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Now, on its surface, if this is all we had, this seems unfair. Why does one person get special treatment and all these other people only get to see his deeds? Does God have like special people? No, 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 no. No, no. You need to look at the whole story. Because you find out that both groups got exactly what they wanted. Children of Israel, they said, we don't want to know your voice. We don't want to be that close. But what we do want is we want food and we want drink and we want deliverance when we get into trouble. That's what we want. And that's what God gave them. And for 40 years, they survived They got food, they got drink, they got delivered. Whenever they need deliverance, they saw the deeds of God that kept them going. Moses simply wanted something different. Moses says in Exodus 33, if I have found favor with you, then teach me your ways. I want to know your ways. Why? Why did he reveal his ways to Moses? Because that's what Moses wanted. Moses said, I want to see your glory. I want to behold your glory. I want to live in your presence. In fact, I'm not going forward unless you go with us. This is what I want. And so what happens for 40 years, it's amazing. We have parallel, it seems like a parallel life, but two very different existences. For 40 years, children of Israel go around a mountain, do the same thing, and eat, drink, and wine. And for 40 years, they watch Moses go to a tent of meeting, and a cloud come down, and Moses be on this adventure with God. For 40 years. It determined all of Moses' future. His future was filled with meetings with God, seeking God, seeing God's glory, hearing God's voice. The children of Israel, because of their choices, because of what they wanted, had none of that. Be very careful with what you want because it will determine how you live your future. Second thing, and this is why we need to be careful about what we want, is our influence. So, 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah is about to go. Elisha knows it's not long that Elijah is going to be taken. And so everywhere Elijah goes, he will say to Elisha, stay here. You stay in Bethel, I'm going to Jericho. Please stay here. And Elisha said, nope, not doing it. Not doing it. Staying with you. And every place they go, Elijah tries to get rid of him. And he's just like, nope, I am not going to leave your side. And finally, after the third time, Elijah turns to him and says these words. But it's not really Elijah speaking, guys. It's God speaking. What do you want? 
What do you want? This is the question for the human race. This is what God says to Solomon in a dream right at the beginning of his kingship. Ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. I want to give you what you want. So Elisha says this. I'll tell you what I want. I have seen the Holy Spirit minister through you. I've seen the miracles. I've seen the things that have, they're they're just game changers that you have done. I want a double anointing of your spirit. And Elijah says, really God says, if you see me when I go, you'll have your request. And Elisha, because of what he wants, pulls from heaven a double anointing. There is a multiplication of the anointing. And if you trace his life, if you count his miracles, he has twice as many miracles as Elijah did. So then we have the tragedy of Gehazi. Gehazi is set up exactly, he's Elisha's servant. So what Elisha was to Elijah, Gehazi is to Elisha. He is next in line. He's the next prophet. He's the next one that's going to get the new mantle. But here's what happens. A a Syrian general named Naaman comes who has leprosy. He comes to be healed by Elijah and Elijah heals him and Naaman is a very important guy and he's got all of this money that he's brought with him to buy the miracle and Elisha says, no, no, that's not how it works. That's not how the grace of God works. You don't pay for the grace of God. You take it for free. You, you, You go back. We're not taking any money. Well, when he leaves, Gehazi decides that we have, we, 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 he wanted to give us money and we should have taken it. So he goes after him. And he makes up a story that some people have come and, and could, could, could you help us? So Naaman gives a, a bunch of clothes and he gives, he, he gives him what he, he, he asks for, a talent. Give me some clothes for these people and give me a talent of silver. Talent is a weight. It's very, very heavy. It's a lot of silver, a talent of silver. Do you know what Naaman says to him? Take double. He gives him double the silver that he asks. He gives him two talents. And when he goes back, the word of the Lord from Elijah, from Elisha to him is this. You get to keep all of the money. All the money that you wanted, you get to keep. But Naaman's leprosy is going to cling to you for the rest of your days. Which means he's going to have to live in isolation. Which means his influence has been destroyed for anyone else. The very one that could have asked again for another double anointing brought down four times the miracles that were in Elijah's life, twice more. He could have asked for anything and he chose money and ended up with leprosy. So what's going on in the church today? We saw last week that anybody can have the double anointing. Double anointing is not about being in the ministry or being a missionary or being a pastor. God wants to anoint people in the workplace. 
Everybody that wants a double anointing can have one. Trust me, we, we need the double anointing in the workplace. We need the miracles to happen, not just in the church, but in the workplace. All of us can have more. All of us, God wants to, this is the day we live in. God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh, sons, daughters, men, women, poor, rich. God wants to pour out the Spirit. What do you want? But here's the problem. If you want the wrong thing and you chase after the wrong thing, you can end up getting it and getting spiritual leprosy with it. Do you know the Bible says that you can't serve God and money? You make money your pursuit and success in America's eyes your pursuit. Watch out, you might get it and end up with spiritual leprosy where you don't have any good influence on anybody else. Just you and your family and your boat and your retirement and your golf and your whatever it is that you've made for yourself. So God's done something amazing with money. God has made it. He set it up so that we can actually not only get the influence that our own life brings directly by the anointing on us, but he's given money and he said, you can actually come alongside, partner with me and partner with people and the fruit that goes in their ministry that you invested with is going to, it's going to multiply your influence. I will see it not just as their ministry, but also your ministry. And so this is, we, we have this missions um, emphasis every year. These missionaries are from all over the world. These are people who have said to God, I'm choosing what you're calling me to. I am willing to sacrifice for it. And I'm willing to go wherever you want them to go. But God has humbled them in a second way. He's, he's humbled them because they can't do it themselves. They need people. It's called interdependence. They actually can't go unless someone sends them. And so this is the most difficult part of being a missionary. It's not doing the work out there. It's having to raise support and having to do what I need to do. Somebody else is going to have to make a sacrifice on this side. And so God has set this thing up. And in, in, tomorrow, I will send out my annual letter. It, it goes out to all of our members uh, and it tells about the missions conference and the missions offering we're going to have in two weeks. And, and there will be a pledge card in there, a, a missionary faith pledge card that says what, you, what, what I plan on giving for the rest of uh, the year. And in two weeks, on the 27th, the end of that service, we will all lift up our pledge card or our phone because we, we have to have an electronic app that has the pledge card on it now. <laughs> Crazy times. Anyway, um, and we'll pray together. That God will speak. That God will speak to each one to give whatever they're supposed to give. And of course, in the midst of COVID, we've never had to raise, our goal this year is $255,000. we have never had to raise money in the midst of COVID before. And so there's a lot of things going against this. How many believe that God can raise that money even in spite of COVID? 
How, how many believe that God can speak to God's people, whether they're here or watching online, and that together, without any guilt, without anybody uh, begging, just by just sheerly offering this thing to God, that God is able to speak and God is able to raise up this money for our missionaries for this coming year? I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. Now, let me tell you what God has done with money. This is just amazing. Psalm 62.10 says this, when riches increase, do not set your heart on them. See, money is not the problem. God wants to bless you. God wants to give you money. God wants to give you promotions. God wants to give you a raise. God is for you. The money is part of how he solves things down here. So money is not the problem. The problem is our hearts. And so what God does with giving, God does two things with giving. One, he increases your influence. You can't go to China, India, uh, the Dominican Republic, Mexico, but when you send a missionary, when you sow into their missionary, where you make a sacrifice to come alongside for them to go, God counts it as you going. They couldn't go without you. And so God counts, counts your sacrifice as part. It multiplies your influence in the world. And at the very same time, God does a second thing. He uses giving to protect our hearts from spiritual leprosy. God knows it's hard for us to give. Money buys things. Money, money there's security in money, or, or it seems that there is. But God says, if you'll make me your provider and make me your security, then you can give freely. You can give generously. And he actually set it up this way. He is a cheerful giver, it says. And he wants us to be cheerful givers as well. And so you don't need to be afraid. When God gives you a number and God says, this is what I want you to do, you do not need to live in fear. God's going to use that gift both to keep your heart free and to multiply our fruit. Isn't God good. Point three, why choose Jesus? First, he came to serve us. Mark 10, 42 through 45, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, the King of Kings, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me unpack that. Jesus, as God, the holy God, made a judgment on the human race, and this includes you and me. And here was the judgment, guilty as charged. He gave the penalty for our sin, separation from God, not just physical death, but, but eternal death, spiritual death. And then he took off his robe as judge, and he said to the Father, give me a body. And he was born into this earth as one of us, and he came to live as one of us, to live a perfect life among us so that he could pay 
the debt we owed so that God's holiness could be satisfied by a propitiatory sacrifice, which is simply a sacrifice that diverts wrath from its intended object to the sacrifice itself. Jesus came and made himself a sacrifice. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Sin demanded it. Our sin demanded it. God's holiness demanded it. And Jesus came to pay that ransom for us. Your sin, my sin, was judged on a cross 2,000 years ago. I had a lady come into my office. She actually contacted me a few months ago, and I'm going to change her name for her sake. Her name, I'm going to say Rachel. Rachel called me. She said, "Uh, Pastor Tom, I know you. Uh, I was in the college and career group at MGT in the 80s with you. She said, I moved away, I live in the lacrosse area, and I'm far from God, and I need to get right with God, and I need a pastor. And she said, I've gone to some churches here, but I just haven't connected, and, and I watch on TV, I watch different preachers on TV, but I need to talk to a pastor. And, and she said, I've got a chiropractor in Madison, because everything is wrong with me, my body doesn't work, and I've got all kinds of problems, but I have to talk to a pastor. And I'm like, Rachel, let's set it up. And so we set it up around one of her appointments. So she came in one morning. And her body is so messed up that she has a special car that allows her to get in and out herself. But she's on crutches. And she came into my office. And I tried to create a chair that would be high enough for her to sit so she would shoot it. She said, you know what? Could we just do this with me standing? I'm like, okay. So there she is standing. And I said, Rachel, do you know if you died, you'd go to heaven? She, she said, no, I, I have no idea. I said, what would you say to God if he said, why should I let you into heaven? Well, I would say that I got saved in the 80s. I came to Christ in the 80s. She said, but, but I, Pastor Tom, I've drifted so far from him. I made so many bad choices. And I said, I said Rachel, have you ever heard the story of the prodigal son? And she starts crying. She says, I told myself I wasn't going to cry. And so I get the tissues for her and she starts. And, 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 and I said, that's why you're here. That's why you came. That's why you contact. You want to come home. Do you remember the story? The father runs to you. He loves you. He, he, he wants you close to him. And she says, Pastor Tom, I just, I just don't know for all the stuff I've done. I just don't know that I... I can be forgiven. I've I've watched a lot of these pastors on TV and I I still think there's going to be a judgment for those sins. And I said, listen, listen, Rachel. You're right. And there has been a judgment for those sins. It happened 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. Your sins have already been judged. God wants to forgive you. She bursts into tears. She just bursts into tears. Is it possible that the gospel is that good? Is it possible that our, the judgment that we're waiting for has nothing to do with our sins? Guys, that's exactly what the gospel is. Jesus came and he served us by dying for us. The judgment seat of Christ is about works. It's God saying thank you for the works that we've done. This is why we should build with silver, gold, and precious stones and not with wood, hand, stubble, but it has nothing to do with sins. 
Jesus already took the judgment for our sins. But it's not just so that we would go to heaven. He died on that cross so that we could live close to God. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 10, and 11 that the accuser accuses us day and night before the throne of God. This is, this is what he wants. He wants to keep you from coming to the throne of God. He wants to keep you from having access, close access to God. So he accuses us day and night. How, well, what does that look like? Oh, uh, who do you think you are to come? You haven't prayed enough. You haven't given enough. You haven't served enough. You don't love enough. You have a bad attitude. And if it wasn't yesterday's bad attitude, it was 10 years ago bad attitude. And then you did this on thinkable thing. Who do you even think you are? You don't deserve to come close. Yes, God probably has to save you because of legally, but the idea that he wants you close to him, no. That's Pastor Tom maybe and maybe a few other TV people, but not you. Listen, those accusations will never be fought off by you defending yourself. It'll never be, you'll never fight those off by, but I'm a good person, and I'm sincere, and I, I serve at church, and I, I'll serve more. I'll read more of the Bible. I'll, you, listen, you'll never get rid of those accusations with anything you do. It says they overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony about that blood. The power of an accusation is there's truth in it. That's why you get completely disarmed. But it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is this. Mr. Devil, there's a God who is crazy about me. As to why he loves me so much, I have no idea. He knows everything about me, and he's absolutely crazy in love for me, so in love with me that he sent his son. He came down, and he took my sins on a cross, and that blood was shed. So, Mr. Devil, everything, even, even the stuff that's all true, it's all been paid for. Thank you, I am washed. I am cleaned. Accusation cannot stick. Now, listen. Now listen to Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Jesus is the perfect high priest. He was God and he became man so he can sympathize with our weakness. He can sympathize with our temptations. He knows everything. He gave the perfect sacrifice of himself, his bloodshed, so that, and this is verse 16 of chapter 4, therefore, come with confidence to the throne of grace in your time of need to obtain mercy and grace. He has transformed the throne of God for you and for me and made it not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace. You and I can live close to God. He says, have the audacity to be confident. Why are you confident? Because it's about his love. It's about his blood. It's about what he's done to bring us close. You and I can live our lives close to God with confidence. And what can we expect from God? Mercy and grace in our time of need. Guys, God is not up there thinking about how he can take you out. He's not thinking about how many times he's put up with you and when, when are you going to get it and why can't you just get it? No, he's thinking about the mercy and grace you're going without because you live accused and you live distant from him and you live far from him. And he's saying, come on, awake, church. 
to my love, awake to my sacrifice, awake to a life of an adventure, living close to me. Stop living for survival. Okay, I got excited, sorry. Okay, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Secondly, he works with us, not instead of us. Jesus knows that you're tired. So he says this in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm humble and meek of heart, and you'll find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus doesn't want you to work for him. And he is not going to work instead of you. He's not going to fight your battles while you do nothing. He's inviting you into partnership. He wants you to work with him. He wants you to come and he wants to teach you how to work with him. He does all the miraculous things and you do all the possible things. So who did it? Did I do it or did God do it? Both. That's his heart. He doesn't want it to be just, oh, well, God did that apart from me, and that's why it's amazing. No, God did it through you. That's why it's amazing. God takes normal people, and he wants to work with us. So he asks this question, what do you want? And so I'm going to end with this story. It's a long story. The year is 2008. In 2005, while we were in Minnesota, God spoke to me about putting Lake City Church and Mad City Church together and making it City Church, and I would be the pastor. And so when we came to Pastor Mad City in 2007, that was in the back of our minds. That was, this is halfway to the fulfillment of what God has spoken. We arrive in Madison, and disaster hits. Um, wounds and fears cause Mad City to split and another church starts and every week I'm pastoring Mad City Church it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and I've, we've tried to do stuff with Lake City Church and John Ruck was the interim pastor, a good friend of mine and we tried to do stuff together but there were two different cultures and humanly it just didn't seem possible and so we get to the end of 2008 and I'm discouraged, our home is not sold yet in Minnesota and life is hard, ministry is hard, everything hard. And I, so we, we're off on this retreat as a family. It's the end of the year. It's between Christmas and New Year's. And God gives me a dream. And in this dream, Alice and I are out to eat. We're in this supper club. And I don't know how I know it, but I know that everyone at all of these tables are, are Vietnam vets or, or, or spouses of Vietnam vets. And for some reason, we're there as well. And we're in the middle of dinner and God speaks to me and tells me to stand up and read this Bible verse and pray for people. And I said, no. I said, no, that would be absolutely inappropriate. This is not a church. And this, is not, this, this can't be God speak. God would never ask me to do something like this in a restaurant. This is ridiculous. So I go back to eating. And as I'm eating, I become more and more feeling like this is God. God wants me to do this very foolish, crazy thing in a public place. And I reason in myself, because I'm not sure whether it's really God or not, but I reason within myself these thoughts. 
God knows that I think it's God. <laughs> and so I'm going to go ahead and do it because there's a chance that it is God and I don't want him to be disappointed with me. And if it's not God, God knows that I thought it was. And who cares? And so I, I, I stand up in the restaurant. I, said, I, need, I need everybody's attention. And I read the Bible verse really quick. I've got my, and after I read the Bible verse, I've got my eyes closed. I said, now I want to just pray for everybody. If everybody put their hand in their hand. And I'm going as fast as I can to get it over with, which is how I am with OB. If God tells me to do something that's really hard, don't overthink it. Just do it and get it over with. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray. And I pray the shortest prayer in history. And I open my eyes. And there's a reverence in that room. And there are two women on the side. They're sitting down. They've got their, their hand over their heart like this. So they're just so, so sincere. And I walk over to them. And I say, what's broken inside of you, no man can fix. No man can heal. Only Jesus can heal it. And I reach my hand out to these two ladies that are sitting in chairs. And, and the, the Spirit of God comes. They just fall over. And the Spirit of God falls on this room. And I wake up. And when I wake up, the presence of God is still with me. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> it's a cool dream. And, but, and, but it's time for me to get up and have my quiet time. So I get up. I get my coffee, get my Bible, get my little spot, get my little lamp on. And once I get tucked in to, to start reading, a thought comes into my mind, just as clear as could be. Here was the thought. What do you want? Now, with the question came very clear the two choices. Do you want... City Church, do you want to be an important pastor that your peers say because you're pastoring a big church, or do you want to be important and, and do you want to have a big influence so that you affect a lot of people, and is this what you want? Or do you want what was in this dream? Do you want to be close enough to me that you hear my voice, free enough in me that you're willing to obey my voice regardless of what the consequences are? And do you want to be filled enough by me that your life actually brings healing to other people's lives? Do you want city church or do you want intimacy with God? And I just, I'm just like, oh, oh my my last three years have just been, this has all been a test. This has all been about a test. God, I choose Jesus. I choose intimacy with God. This is my future. This is what I want. If I get to choose, this is what I want. And I immediately called two of my friends that knew about the City Church prophecy and were believing God for it. I said, listen, guys, City Church is not going to happen. City Church was a test. Not going to happen. I chose intimacy with God. This is, and I told them the whole thing. This is how it happened. So you say, that, well, Pastor Tom, that's confusing. Why are we at City Church then? Why did City Church happen? <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. City Church isn't my dream. It's God's dream. Right? right now, I happen to be leading it, but City Church is not my identity. I love you guys. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I si here's what I signed up for. Intimacy with Jesus. That's what I signed up for. That's my reward. And right now, I'm... I'm happy to lead City Church with Jesus. 
But the reason why I'm sharing all of this is a question I want you to ask. As we, could we stand together? We're going we're gonna to do a song together, and then I'm going to pray. Here's the question. What do you want? What do you really want? So maybe it's become very clear to you that you've just been wanting the wrong thing. Maybe your whole life has been around wanting the wrong thing. Maybe at one point you did want the right thing, but you've, you slid back and you're just, you're just wanting the wrong thing. But here's something absolutely stunningly amazing. We can actually come to God and say, God, I want to want the right thing. God has this fire of grace that not only burns and lessens our desire for lesser things, but it also creates the desire for the very thing he wants for you. He, he, by his fire, he can create within you, that when you say yes to it, the very desire of why he made you, of what you are created for, of how he wants you to influence this world. He can awaken that by grace. Guys, this is grace from the beginning to the end. This is not, if we would just want it enough, God would do it. That's not how it works. If we would be humble enough to say, I can't create this on my own. But I give you what is dead, what is dry, and what is hard. And I say, God, I want to want the right thing. Let's pray. Would you open your arms like this just to the Lord? Lord, the Bible says that you're searching all over the world. You're searching. Lord, I know people here today are not putting their time in, checking off the box, went to church. If, they want, if, that's, if they're just box checkers, they would find a church that goes shorter than this one. There's a lot of places that, that will dismiss in an hour and they could be gone and still check the box. So I know that's not why they're here. They're here for something more. But Lord, our hearts are prone to wander from you. Our hearts are prone to live under accusation and just everything in us, we just move away from you automatically. But Lord, it says on the day of Pentecost that you sent fire that split 120 ways. There was fire for every single person in that room. It was not just fire for Peter. There was a fire for every heart. Now, Lord, would you come to this place? You see our arms open. Jesus, this world desperately needs us to ask for a double anointing and not become spiritual lepers. This world is desperate right now. So here we are, Jesus. We choose you. We choose being close enough to hear you. Free enough to obey you regardless of the consequences. Regardless of who doesn't like us and what party we're not going to be invited to and what job or position we might lose. We want to obey you. We want to obey you. And that be the most important thing in our life. Whatever happens. And then God, we want to live filled enough to bring healing to those around us. Even the people that are the most broken, the most torn up, the most traumatized by this life, that our very presence will bring healing, that there will be healing in our touch, there will be healing in our words, because we're just so filled with the healing love of Jesus. 
Lord, we get to choose. You said this is going to be about what we want. Here's what we're choosing today. We're choosing intimacy with Jesus as our greatest thing in our whole life. Lord, we love our pastors, but we want to hear from you directly. You can use them and speak through them, absolutely. But God, we want to hear your voice. And we want to know that it's you. So I break accusation that has kept us far. I break even a mindset that says, other people, that's their thing to be close. My wife is close to God, but I'm kind of distant. I break that in Jesus' name. God wants you close to him. So Jesus, here we come. Here we come. I, we don't know why. We can't figure this out. Why you love us so much. It's crazy. But you love us so much that you died on a cross. You shed blood so that you could take our judgment so that we wouldn't have to fear being judged for our sins. But also so that we would have confidence to come close. Now, Lord, I release confidence in this place. Confidence to live my life close to God. Confidence to live when I'm at the hospital, when I'm at the accounting office, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm building something, when I'm engineering something, that I can live close. Confidence, God wants me close. And that I can have the double anointing. I can have more. I can overflow. I can be used by God to do anything he wants me to do because that's his plan. It's not about good people. It's not about great people. It's about a great God who is filled with love and redemption for broken people just like us. So Jesus, seal it in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.